It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Great to be back with you. The place to be every week to talk about the confluence of race and sports. That's Morrison. I'm Jackson. We'll talk with William Roden a little bit later. I think he'll let us call him Bill. <laughs> you uh, think so? <laughs> the, the resident uh, scribe, uh, opinion leader on all things uh, race and sports, quite honestly. I mean, the man just does sports overall, yeah. but uh, the emphasis and the joy that's radiating from him, at least from my perspective, of the resurgence of HBCUs will be the center of our conversation. A little bit later in the program, there's some uh, hellish shenanigans going on in Virginia Beach that we'll address. But first, the most unlikely pitch man in the <laughs> world is Marshawn Lynch. And Kirk Morrison, that man is making dollars selling things. And so the Players Association, in their infinite wisdom, said, well, let's make him our first ever chief brand ambassador. Before we get to any of those details, did you see this coming? Wow. Uh, yes, I did see this coming. I did. I will <laughs> well, be honest. Me, I did not. <laughs> well, I think we saw it about two years ago, Jax, and... I wish I had more time. I would go grab the T-shirt that I bought um, from Marshawn uh, to help um, understand what Marshawn has been, meaning that he came back to the league. And I want to say, um, Jax, it was about two years ago and he had an opportunity to play with Seattle. They had got banged up at running back and they had probably about six, seven games left. And they said, let's just call Marshawn, see what they do. And Marshawn, you know, they called him and, he came in, he played the rest of the season, um, and it was good. I, I'm not sure if they made the playoffs or not, but I just know he was able to get there. I think they may have made the playoffs. I forget, Jax. Anyway, he had a candid conversation, though, afterward. And look, Marshawn doesn't talk to the media. That's just, you know, we've seen it. That's the reason why you start off <laughs> believing somebody's not going to be that great of a pitch man, right? But he had a conversation um, with the media. And someone just asked him, a, you know, asked him a question and said, hey, you know, Marshawn, you know, you're back. But what do you learn in retirement that you were away? And he, in, the, in the Marshawn Lynch way, he said, look, man, it's, you know, it's scary out there for a lot of guys. Mm. It's scary because guys don't know what they're going to encounter when the game's over. And so his advice to the younger guys, to the young players was number one, he said, take care of your mentals. That's that's the that's the word that he used, the phrase that he used. Remember that press conference. Yeah. yeah. Take care of your mentals. All right. Count your chickens. <laughs> right. Maybe count your money. Make sure you know what you got going on. And make sure you got the right investment team, the right investments going on. All of that was something that I think NFL players need to hear. But from someone like Marshawn, who I think 
has done things his own way. He's he's never been one to, I think, do things that go along with uh, the norm. He was like, no, I'm going to do things differently. You know, I remember just being around Marshawn. We've worked at different events. You know, we grew up in uh, Oakland, California, known him very well, went to, high, went to his high school games. <laughs> That's how good of a player that he was. That, But the one thing that he always did, he was always authentic. And I think that's the reason why you select a guy like Marshawn, Jax, because you know you're going to get an authentic take, right? You're going to get an authentic conversation. You're going to get something that, you know what? I never heard that side of it before, or I never looked at it that way. Where some people are going to do that, I mean, do things to appease you. Marshawn is like, no, I'm going to tell you the real. I'm going to tell you what's straight up how you should go about doing this. And I think it's, that's why I saw it coming. I didn't think it was going to be into this capacity with the NFL Players Association, right. but I knew that he is, <laughs> it's funny to say this, but he is an influencer. In a world of influencers that we have, right, on social media, Marshawn is a true influencer. His passion for helping fellow union members succeed was observed by the union in which he was a member. Right. Um, and after 13 years of exhibiting that desire to provide financial wisdom, as you talked about, uh, being an entrepreneur himself, to mentoring others on the realities of business, of the game of football, and how right. to extend that, as you noted. Uh, in this role, his responsibility will be to get the members to get the most out of football, providing strategic support and insight for uh, the many athlete-driven programs, resources, and revenue growth opportunities available to players. Right. The great thing I think he's going to add is that flavor that you noted, it, don't be a robot, right? I've listened to these last couple of his, his Uber Eats commercial. Why would I tell you my personal information about my food? <laughs> right, correct. <laughs> you know, a clip that I saw recently, I don't know if it was used in one of his spots, but... It was a clip of him and Robert Sherman talking, Richard, I'm sorry. Richard, yeah. About uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> and, and, and Lynch is like, listen, I'm going into these streets and I'm going to feed my people. Yeah. And Richard's going like, into my community. Yeah, going into my yeah. community. <laughs> oh, he knew he was Mike now. He was like, yeah. no two ways about it. <laughs> but then Richard gets fired up and he's like, can I come with you? Right. right. And so those elements of being uniquely yourself in a space where you're supposed to, you know, if I don't know if there's a sport that asks for more assimilation and togetherness. Right. Uh, being on the same page in the same moment, more than the great game of football, America's passion. Uh, but there's also room, right? There's also room for those of you all that were, we ch were challenged to identify you in the streets. It's legislated that you can't take your helmet off, you know, in celebration. And it's, it's a different way to think. It's a different way to be, and it's okay. Like, we're gonna hear the, 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 the clamoring from the old heads, right. but being an individual and elevating that platform beyond if you are the luckiest of lucky and get <laughs> a, a, a decade out of this, a decade plus, yeah. Uh, what are you going to do with the majority of the rest of your life? But I think also to kind of, you know, along those same lines is 
how can you do it in your own personal way and not the way that many others can take, right? There's different paths that you can take. And I know that's what Marshawn Lynch has always preached. So, yeah, I'm not of the norm, but I also do things in a way in which I feel is best suited for who I am as a person, who, who I am in my community, what I can still, what I still continue to preach. Um, that was always been something that I think that he wanted to do. And now to finally have this platform, you know, he's been, you know, enjoying retirement, being able to do some shows and game shows he's doing. Um, it, it, it isn't just the NFL PA. He's also, I, I believe he's got some fantasy stuff going. I think uh, a couple of, uh, you know, gambling sites. I mean, he's got everything going because people like you fall in love with the person who you know is not going to BS you. Let's be real, right? Marshawn's not going to tell you something that you don't know. And I think that's, to me, what's uh, what's been best about seeing this new venture for him. And I know he's going to be great at it just because everything that he does, he's going to do it full speed, 100%. Last note before we take our first break, uh, he's also going to interface outside of the NFL. And this is a really neat uh, extension of the Players Association uh, as he works with other sports players and and partners through events on social media. Um, his main responsibility will be to mentor uh, fellow members of the Players Association one-on-one and foster business opportunities uh, through the union's for-profit, let's make it known, marketing <laughs> and licensing yeah. arm, the NFL Players, Inc., which his perspective is going to be so fresh and new. I remember coming up, you were with me, the old yeah. quarterback club, right? Every, oh, the, yeah. Those cats, uh, you know, that was a, that was, that was just a tight club, right? And I don't even, did Warren Moon ever get in the quarterback club? I'm not sure if he got in there. Yeah, I think he got in there late, but hey, he got into the Hall of Fame. So he got a, he got a gold jacket. That's the one you need. So (laughs) from the eighties and early nineties, clearly black quarterbacks were still a minute representative uh, part of the pie. Right. And so to grow this space that's available for all players from around the national football league, uh, we, we couldn't be more excited. Couldn't be more excited. Let's uh, let's take a quick break. Our first, that's Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. This is Forward Progress. When we come back, uh, it was the, the week zero of college football that got me fired up. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're one of your many employers, one of your, one of your main streams of income, the worldwide leader, <laughs> uh, made a commitment in content and game presentation to HBCUs. Yeah. The great uh, William Roden was a part of that presentation. Uh, we discussed this renaissance and resurgence when we return here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison and Jackson, and we are so happy to have the award-winning New York Times sports columnist, the contributor from the worldwide leader. Of course, you see some of his great stuff in The Undefeated. It's William C. Roden on the program. Good day to you, sir. I was telling uh, our producer, Pradell Brown, a few weeks ago when ESPN dedicated that very first week of uh, college football uh, to the messaging and upliftment of historically black college football, um, that that feature you did, that you voiced, that you're a part of, mm-hmm. uh, stirred something in me that, that's just awesome. Um, my, my grandmother went to Tuskegee. 
My oh, parents wow. went to Central State University in Ohio. Wow. My son is at FAMU. As a Gen Zer, he's uh, he looks at everybody else in the family. He's like, all of you all from your PWIs. Right. You all. And uh, right. that is his brother, his mother, and his father. Uh, there were some of us that thought, my parents were this way. There was a part of my childhood where I thought, Bill, that I was going to Central State. And then my parents said, interesting, 60s kids, right, who had emerged in their 70s, got into the suburbs. We had this Black Rockwellian experience in, in Northeast Ohio, and it was no longer a requirement. It was not mm -hmm. still a lot of pride for Central as it is in their alma mater. But if I wanted to go to Bowling Green State University and the same thing for my brother, they, there was no hesitation. Right. Talk about the transition that's occurred over the last, well, it was a lightning bolt, was it not? Yeah. I mean, here I am, a 70s baby that went to school in the 90s. I have my kids, and now my kid comes out of high school in, uh, in, the, in the late 20 teens and is like, I need to be in the culture. Yeah, you know, first of all, uh, you know, Jason, Kirk, I really enjoy what you guys do. Um, uh, it's, it's a great show. Um, you know, we get so caught up in the sports industry uh, and we kind of forget uh, about the journey and the struggle. And, and you know, and, and, you know, you know, both you guys know, man, sometimes in our industry, we don't want to deal with this, you know, right. particularly if you got sort of a mainstream sport network. This is not what we want to deal with, you know. <laughs> so it's great that you guys have an opposite commercial for what's real. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> right. I, I appreciate you. it. But, you know, also, I remember listening to one of your shows, um, Jason, when you said that your your son was going to Florida A&M. And I was like kind of ecstatic, you know, uh, because, you know, you know I, I run a fellowship. I don't know if you knew that for the undefeated. It's called the Roden Fellows. Yeah. Uh, and and, and I, we just named our sixth class, our fifth class. And these are five kids uh, from HBCUs who we select and they get a, a year-long paid fellowship to produce content for the undefeated, for ESPN. And it's really been a great a thing. And um, it kind of, and what I'm impressed with these kids about, like your son, was that, you know, in my generation, I went to Morgan State. And the further you go back in time, uh, the more, you know, uh, our parents, grandparents, these are the schools they can go to, you know. And now in this generation, these kids could go anywhere, mm -hmm. really, you know, and they choose to go to HBCUs. Um, and I think it's so uh, refreshing uh, you know, um, and um, it's such a it was such a unique experience for me. But I, I, I'm really happy, uh, and I, I joke with the kids that there's been this sort of renewed interest. Maybe it's called the George Floyd effect that yeah. all things black, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. more money is. I'm like, you know, uh, <laughs> cool. Let's because you know you know how these things go in cycles, man. You know, let's keep going while the clock is going on till they wake up. So, all right, we tired of this. You know, but uh, it's, it's, it's been refreshing. Um, it's been refreshing to see. And like I said, when I saw your kid, in fact, we were, we were just down at FAMU, Jason. Uh, I just told you and Kirk, we just took this 2,500-mile HBCU road trip in an RV because uh, we wanted to explore the roots of what, you know, the kids were asking. You know, I asked them, well, do you guys know when the first black college football game was? They said, well, 19, I said, no. And it dawned on me that, 
you know, with your kids, our kids, we constantly have to tell them uh, how things started. What are the roots? Right. And, and where do you guys fit in this river of struggle? Because if you don't know that, you know, if you, if you don't know that there was struggle, then you have no idea that you're in a war. Mm-hmm. You know, you just think that, like, one kid I wrote a book called $40 Million Slaves. And yes, in the reporting of it, uh, one kid during Black History Month, I, I talked to the class and find at the end of it, she said, well, Mr. Roden, that's all nice, but who was the first white player to integrate the NBA? Now, think of that question. She wanted to know who was the first white player to integrate <laughs> the NBA. And it dawned on me that, you know, it was remarkable. It made sense because in a certain generation of black kids, the yeah. NBA had always been 80% black players. The NFL has always been 70%. They, they figured it's always been like this. And if you think it's always been like this, you have no idea of the blood, the sweat, and tears that it took to get to this point. You know, like, there, there are people like, like uh, J.G. just mentioned about black quarterbacks. Right. People don't have an idea that there was a war, man. There, was, there are people who did not and still don't quite <laughs> accept, accept that. So yeah. I'm kind of going in different directions, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you didn't ask me anything. I just kind of went off. That's all good. No, no, yeah. I, I want to know more about this 2,500-mile trek because I know you went through the different HBCUs. And I remember back in, was it 1968, when you left Chicago to go down to Morgan State and how football was then. What is football now at the HBCU? What What is the outlook for football when you went back and you think about when you first started to where it's at right now? Yeah, I think... Uh you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, I win a renaissance. There's a part of me, Kurt, a big part, I think that 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 horse has left the barn mm-hmm. in terms of blue chip talent going back. You know, on this trip, we interviewed this kid named Micah Pollard, uh, who's a star down in Florida, who's going to be going to University of Michigan. And, you know, I, I kind of get that, you know, because, you know, like, like you were saying, there's a stage the stage, you know, is just so huge now. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you go to Michigan or Alabama or something like that, um, just know in the back of your mind that there was a time when they didn't want you. And now they want you because you could you could bring in revenue, you know. Uh, so I, I think that um, in terms of the blue, blue I, you know, I know you got uh, uh, what's um, Eddie George down Tennessee State. Yep. And um, Dion at Jackson State. And the irony is that, you know, when Dion came out of Fort Myers High School in Florida, he didn't go to Florida A&M. You know, right. he went to Florida State. Eddie Joy, right. you know, he didn't go to, you know, he didn't go to more whatever. You know, he went to Ohio State. And so their irony is that you're trying to convince kids to do something you didn't do, you know. Mm. And, and so uh, I just think we have to keep in mind that it doesn't have to be a binary decision. You know, we need we need black kids going to Ivy Leagues. We need black kids going to the Pac-12. Uh, we need black kids going to a number of, of places. Um, but I, I think that uh, we talked to a kid named Aquil Glass, who's at Alabama A&M, quarterback. Okay. And he's kind of on a mission. He said, you know, last year only one one black player got drafted from an HBCU. I'm here to let the NFL know that you got talented kids in this league, you know. And so um, is it going to ever get back? You know, when I when I left Morgan, 
the epiphany for me, I left Morgan uh, to go to, um, uh, uh, I mean, I left, you know, Chicago to Morgan State, like you said. And I remember one day, man, you know, I was, you know, a senior in high school. I bopped into this class late because I was like, thought I was something, you know. Well, you know yeah. I mean, I, last year of high school. Oh, yeah. You already had that scholarship. Well, yeah. you already know what it was. You was over there, got your chest out. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, hell, man, I could, I could go into my friend's German class, you know, just because late. And I remember the substitute teacher was there, and he said, so um, who are you? I said, I'm Bill Roden, you know. And he said, yeah. He said, so, uh, you know, yeah, so what, what are you? He goes, I play football. And he said, oh, yeah, really? So I play football, too. And he showed me his ID. Turned out he was Gloucester Richardson. Uh, Gloucester Richardson, who's part of the whole Richardson family. And, and I was a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. And when he showed me, and Gloucester Richardson was a star with the Chiefs, and they had all these guys, man, from Tennessee State. And when he showed me that, I was like, oh, shit, really? <laughs> and then he invited me. He said, why don't you come out? We, we practice. We work out. We work out uh, at Grand, Cross, uh, Grand Crossing Park. Why don't you come down and work out? And so when I, worked, when I went there, man, there was cats like all the Chicago Bears, Dick Gordon, uh, Major Hazeltine, a lot of cats, man, Florida. And when I said I was going to Morgan, there was all this kind of reverence. Because Willie Lanier was at Morgan. And back then in 1968, you know, you had all these cats, man, Jackson State, Grambling, Prairie View. You know, it was like, you know, man, we were, we were like stock in the AFL. So there was a sort of reverence that came with that. And fast forward to your point, Kurt, you know, now it's sort of like a whole different thing. When you say you're going to like, you know, if, if a kid like Micah Brown, Mike, Micah um, Pollard, Instead of going to Michigan, he said, you know what? I'm going to go to uh, North Carolina Central. It would be like, damn, why are you, you know, why are you doing that? You know, yeah. so, it's, so it's just been a, a change. But to your point, um, I, I think the horse has kind of left the barn. But, um, you know, just our, our kids, like, and like your son will know, Jason, mm-hmm. I tell my kids, when you get through with this, when you finish FAMU, you will be a lot stronger. You will be a, your, your perspective because yeah. it's something about going four years, man, and being in power, seeing black folks in charge, uh, not always being like the only, you know, the only black kid. Uh, you, you know, it, it's something about spending your four years of empowerment and actually roaring and law. You know, most most yeah, a lot of our kids may have never heard a real lion roar, you know, and when you go to these an all black campus. And for four years, you kind of learn to roar. So your 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 son will, will you know, right now, you know, he'll go places and he'll say, I go to FAMU. And they'll say, yeah, okay, right. You're right, I go to University of Florida. But in four years of that, he'll be such so much stronger internally and spiritually when he comes through that, you know, so. Already starting to get uh, little doses of that, including when uh, after his summer basketball workout session, <clears throat> he came back to South Florida where, where, where we live uh, with, uh, with a new hairstyle. Oh. That way. <laughs> and his, his, his excuse, uh, not, let's not call it excuse. It's not the style I prefer. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, Dad, I'm just getting in the culture. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think he's going to be able to use that for a lot of things. Uh, yeah. you, sh- you sent me there. <laughs> yeah, it's William Roden with us here from ESPN's The Undefeated. Uh, the Mac and the Swack, and the Swack, Miak and the Swack, rather, are these front-facing Division One 
level institutions that are catching seemingly all of the attention, some new dollars uh, and what have you. There are over 100 HBCUs though in the nation. How is that next tier of HBCU athletic program doing? What's the temperature that you've been able to check in those places that maybe don't get the light that these other institutions have been getting the last year? Yeah, that's a great that's a great point because even within even within the SWAC and the uh, and the uh, MEAC, you know, MEAC has lost a lot of teams, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a trend now. Teams like North Carolina A and T playing uh, in, a, in a predominantly white conference. I think they went to the the, the Big South, mm-hmm. and A and uh, T and Hampton left to go to the Big South. You know, so there's that kind of trend yeah. happening. So even within those two conferences. Uh, particularly the, the the SWAC is pretty solid, but yeah, you know, yeah the SWAC is the SWAC has always been really kind of solid, you know. Um, MEAC is um, struggling, and then other other to you know like it's, it's sort of in the black college. Everybody knows Howard, everybody knows Morehouse, you know. And they say, oh, that's you know, so well, yeah, you know what? They're a hundred something more, right? You know? um, but there's nothing, there's nothing, um, uh, no, no. Um, problem that HBCUs have that money won't fix. And, you know, part of the problem was over the years, in fact, there was just a lawsuit that uh, Morgan was part of about three years ago when uh, Maryland State uh, um, ruled that Morgan, um, Coppin, a couple other black colleges had for years, years, been receiving significantly fewer funds than other white schools in the state. And this was kind of across the board. You know, Florida State has this tremendous stadium where FAMU played in a, you know, kind of an okay stadium, but Florida State was getting all the state funds. So um, to answer your question, um, there's still a lot of small black schools that are hanging on, you know, that that, that are hanging on. And that's just sort of been our legacy uh, of doing more with less. And that's, you know, even with this, infusion of money that's sort of the imprimatur of black colleges you know on this um you know there, there's a in fact there's a great story jason you know fam you has always had this great band the march 100 oh yeah that band has been phenomenal for a long time and we told the story of, of dr uh william p foster who was the you know who who, who basically they call him the maestro and they call him the law and, and he got there in 1946, uh, a year after Jake Gaither was named the head football coach at FAMU. And his role was to build a world-famous band that would put FAMU on the map. And just hearing his story and hearing a lot of stories really uh, just reminded me that our role now as, as black men, you know, at a certain point in our lives, is all about passing the torch, passing the baton. That's kind of all it's about, you know. Um, and, and Foster, he, he, just briefly, he went to the University of Kansas and because he, he was born in Kansas City, Kansas. I called him, he, he would become the Charlie Parker of marching bands. And his goal, he, he, the day before graduation, he went to the dean and the dean said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to be a, a conductor and a band director. And the white dean said, you need to change your vision because there's no job for a black conductor and a black band director. And you could imagine, this is like 
19, I forget when it was, but he left there determined. He said, you know what? I'm going to build a marching band that is better than any white band. And so that was his goal. And eventually, when he, when, what he developed in Florida A&M, man, changed the whole tone of what marching bands were doing at like Ohio State, Michigan, because he totally changed everything with the fast stepping, the dancing, uh, the musicianship, you know, the drama. So he basically changed everything. And, and I found that in every story along the way, these stories of older black men and women who, would, who just refused to take no for an answer, you know, who, who built something out of nothing. And so I don't know how much I learned new, but it just, it, it just reminded me that that's sort of the, the, the signature of HBCUs and black people in general. That's what we do, man. We just, every single, it, you know, this, this, this thing is never over. You know, it's, it's, the thing we're involved in is never over. That's what you guys talk about every week about the struggle. And, and our goal, our role, I guess, is to say young black kids, no matter wh- whether you're at Harvard or Florida or whatever, man, you're involved in a struggle. And this struggle is never, ever, is never over. Well, I got to put your feet to the fire here, Bill. I got to put you, you ready? I'm going to put you on the spot here. All right. If I can get you one ticket to one HBCU event, where is William C. Roden going? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Probably to the uh, Bayou Classic, mm. probably to the Bayou Classic in New Orleans mm. and uh, get there early so I could go to the, the step show, the Battle of the Bands. You know, uh, I, that, that's probably it. Because there's something about the, uh, you know, we went to a Tennessee State. We ended up this trip at the Tennessee State-Jackson State game right. in Memphis. And, man, it just... It just reminded me, just walking through there, man, and it, it's, 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 it's a whole different vibe. It's you a know? culture. Oh, yeah. It's a whole different vibe, man, the love and, and the celebration of each other. You know, it's like we're not, you know, we're not rivals, we're family. And it occurred to me that, yeah. you know, family isn't about blood. You know, family is about commitment, you know. And so, uh, but, yeah, to answer your question, Kirk, I, I guess put me on the spot. <laughs> I would go to uh, I go to Grambling Southern, you know, and and spend spend a weekend in New Orleans. They've got the dust off the Orange Blossom Classic. It had been gone oh, for wow. thirty seven years. So we might get you down to Paradise too. All right, All right. <laughs> give me some humidity suits. Uh, humidity. Listen, suit. we gonna, listen, we gonna, yeah, we need some linen now. We're yes. Oh yeah, that. get you get oh, you a walker. Man. William Roden, always a pleasure. Please come back anytime. We're so glad. That you're sampling our product. Uh, it means a great deal to both of us. Yeah, you guys are the best. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Come back anytime. When we come back here on Forward Progress, uh, ignorance into shenanigans. And for anybody that believes or actually has the thinking or the nerve to ask either Bill or Kirk or myself ever, is it really that bad? <laughs> the answer is always yes. Another example next on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome back to the program. A reminder to celebrate live is alive. Sirius XM is giving away 
this wonderful experience to current subscribers, chance to win, to live like Kirk Morrison, <laughs> 12 <laughs> of the biggest <laughs> events on the 2022 sports calendar, plus cash for travel costs and expenses. That's what we love. One winner and guests will get the chance to travel the country and experience 12 marquee events, including Super Bowl 56, the NBA Finals, and the World Series, courtesy of SiriusXM. For official rules and to enter, go to SiriusXM.com slash Ultimate Sports Fan. No purchase necessary. Open to current SiriusXM subscribers as of July 21st, 2020. This ends on October 15th of this very year. Void where prohibited. We got it all in, my man. We did. And now we <laughs> got to get it in on some dummies in mm. Virginia. Virginia yeah. Beach police have been brought into a situation where a seemingly nice lady mm -hmm. says her neighbor's racist taunts include speakers playing slurs and monkey noises. What type of bigoted cartoon are you when you set up a speaker system to harass your neighbors? Uh, police are in the area calling uh, the actions offensive, but say they don't rise to the level of criminal behavior. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So we got a black woman in Virginia noting that players, that neighbors are playing monkey noises and racial slurs over the speakers to taunt her family. Right? Yep. So basically hate speech. Correct. Right? Which I thought was against the law. Right. Okay. Number one. And um, they're saying whenever they step out of the house, the monkey noises start. And I'm with them. It's racist and it's disgusting. And the police department ought to know better and do more. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, you know, what can you do, though? Because I'm sitting here and I'm saying, yeah, I want to, you know, vandalize their house or you want to make a, a statement or right. something. Then it turns into a criminal action in yeah, response, then, right? Then all of a sudden I'm at fault for doing something. Uh, this Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach police better figure it out. Because this can be, become an uproar. If people want to be famous, oh, we'll make you famous, but mm. not for the way that you want. Right. Because you can't make someone feel uncomfortable when they step outside their own home. And, you know, just I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, I'm going through my head thinking, here I am walking out of my home to go to work, you know, go to school, whatever it may be. And yet I, I'm getting harassed by my neighbor because of my ethnicity. My, my, my background, who I am, the color of my skin, like that ultimately for me, that, that that's a, you, you can't do that. And so I'm calling the Virginia Beach police saying, you better handle it before I do. Word. <laughs> you handle it before I do. You, you handle it before it gets worse. Because the more people that find out, trust me, this has kind of been laying low a little bit. It, it's going to start to get get bigger. And we're going to find out what's behind this. Why are you doing this? Because this is, we know that what our country is in right now, right? We are still, it's still very sensitive, right? We're still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset because, and I hope I'm not going off on another story, but, you know, I, I saw the, um, you know, the, the, the statues that were um, just unveiled of George Floyd, um, uh, Mr. Lewis, who else was it? And um, I want to say it was one more over in Union Square, near Union Square, New York. Mm -hmm. 
and they've been vandalized. They haven't even been up a week, Jax. I think it was up a couple of days. And people have already vandalized property. And so I'm still telling people that, yeah, whatever we had going on with our awakening that we called, why this show really came about with all the unrest with George Floyd. Yeah, it's still unrest. Ain't really, there's been minimal change, but it hasn't been the change that, you know, with social media, with everything kind of back, people are back into that, that zone of working and you're forgetting about that our country is still not where it needs to be. And it's incidents like this, Jax, that puts it in perspective that we still not there yet. Like this, this is unacceptable. And for people to continue to do this and think that it's okay. Like, come on, man, we got, we got to figure We got to figure something out. So incitement is criminal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I could envision a March on this house coming. Oh, oh, that's what I'm saying. Oh, it's about to get real. It's going to get real. Um, And the people will probably and have already probably said to themselves listening on their phone or laptop or in their car, these people have the freedom and liberty to be ignorant. Right. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of. So, yes, the government cannot come and crush them for being buffoons. right? Right. But there is a unique protection under the law when it becomes hatred based upon color, creed, race, Mm. or religion. So I'm encouraging some of the, I would hope, young officers in the Virginia Beach Police Department to really get in their statute book, which actually may be the problem, But then also take a look at state law and federal law and understand that there's ample reason to let these people know that if it does not discontinue immediately, that whatever we have at our disposal in the law will come raining down on your house. Because what we're not going to do is allow for an equal and opposite reaction. Right which I'm sure uh, these folks here in this Virginia Beach neighborhood don't want. Now, maybe they're inviting it on and they want to dance, Kirk. I don't know. I don't want to get all into all that. Uh, But I just think that from a leadership standpoint, from a governance standpoint, from a serve and protect standpoint, VBPD is a little too far back on this one. Yeah, they got to be more active uh, before it becomes even bigger. And the bigger that it becomes, it's going to fall on them because they could have nipped this in the bud early on. But now more and more people, I think, will continue to understand that because we shouldn't have to live like this. I'm thinking about the family. I think I'm thinking about they have kids. You know what I mean? I'm thinking about like this is harassment every single day. And how do I go out and have an effective day? How can I go out and be productive? Knowing that I got to come home to this, come home to someone who uh, I don't know if they're doing it for giggles. Is it, is it for fun? Do you, do you find this amusing? Because I'm trying to wrap my brain around all of this, Jackson. It's just it's just I, I can't understand why someone would think that this was OK. That, that That's what I'm really trying to wrap my brain around. 
Like, do you, do you think this is okay to have monkey noises blaring out of your, your house or racial By the way, slurs? my man, this is retaliation. Yeah. This all started for this family in Virginia Beach uh, as a motive of discomfort, mm-hmm. right? Um, the family says music would play loudly over her neighbor's speakers, shaking their home. So these these fools went out and bought like industry level speakers, like yeah. dance club. <laughs> like think about the, the them, type them, of asshole you got to be. Yeah. To go out and get like industry level DJ speakers to then shake your neighbor's house. Only after she alerted police about the music did the next layer start coming with the racial slurs and the monkey noises. What pieces of garbage these people are. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised because I think people still have that in their heart. And to, to them, it's people see you differently. Uh, that's kind of all I can say on it. Some people still don't. They think that they're better than you. Uh, they, they are one up on you. And until they figured it out that we're supposed to be all equal, you know what I mean? I mean, I see it day to day sometimes, you know, when you travel different places and I'm saying, it's, 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 I feel uncomfortable over here <laughs> when people look at you differently and they're saying like, Come on, man. you know, I, I, I shouldn't have to feel this way. And why can't we come to an agreement or a common ground or whatever it may be? But now I don't even want to approach you. I don't even want to look you because you already showed me your hand and I don't want no parts of you. Yeah. Oh, I want to get in this last little bit. I have a statement here from the Virginia Beach Police Department on this issue. Um, They put this out on social. The Virginia Beach Police Department has responded to several calls for service over the last several months related to nuisance loud music complaints on this particular street. By the way, that's that's enough for at least some citations, right? Right. As appalling and offensive as the neighbor's behavior are, the city's attorney and Virginia magistrates have separately determined that the actions reported thus far did not rise to the level that Virginia law defines as criminal behavior. So therein lies a part of the problem as well. This means the Virginia Beach Police Department has had no authority to intervene and warrants were not supported. We will closely monitor the situation, investigate complaints, and within the limits of the law, help this family with the most unpleasant situation. So you know what that would mean back in the day? What that mean? Run it. Garbage out the wrong day ticket. (laughs) Grass cut the wrong height according to HOA ticket. Ticket. Uh, anything that violates any of the community standard, take it. Like the nuisance needs to be a two-way street supported by VBPD. If their hands are allegedly tied because uh, there is anything on the books in the great state of Virginia or in the fine metropolis of Virginia Beach to help protect people from being harassed in their own home, then that's where I would want to be as the leadership of, uh, of Virginia Beach. It would be in my shift speech every day. Make sure you get by Jessamine Court and make sure our, our, our DJs, oh, please play one note past the noise ordinance. Bang. Hmm. Bang. <laughs> it's a wrap, huh? <laughs> they got these cameras pointed in directions that are not at their home. That can't be legal. Yeah. 
bang. I'd wear them out. I'd wear them out, wear them down to a bone. I do, yeah, man. You know what? I'm um I do want to get to something positive before we uh, get up out of here, man. Sure. So I do want to let people know that man, this and this is pretty cool too. Uh that Bubba Wallace was the driver of that number 23 car for the yep. 2311 racing team, which is co-owned by one Michael Jordan, one of the greatest ever. Jordan is the uh, first black principal owner of a full-time Sprint Cup team since 1973. So Bo Wallace got his first Cup Series victory as a driver, and MJ got his first win as a team owner, man. So when you talk about uh, forward progress, that that's the progress that I want to see. Congrats to Bubba, and, and you know, congrats to to Michael as well, man. That, that's that that's best huge, especially in that sector of sports. Yeah. Um, that that's something I definitely wanted to make sure we got that in. Now on the roundtables that we had prior to the invention of forward progress, I know right. our buddy Brad Dowdy, also a U.S. Yeah. product. Uh-huh. Join us. I don't know if he's been on forward progress yet. He's got to feel a certain way right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's been in NASCAR forever. A long time. He's been right. that dude. So while there's got to be some level of pride and excitement, the competitive nature in Brad's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yo, what you going Brad to do? been doing it. Yeah. MJ just going to come in here right now and just do what he does, huh? Hey, man, I've been taking it ever since they was at North Carolina, man. I mean, we forget Brad. Didn't Brad go to North Carolina? Right, it's some cold stuff. You're See, like. look, Mike just Mike just taking everybody's shot. Yeah. Nah. You know what? I guess everybody <laughs> who follows after Mike knows what's coming. Yeah, we know what it is. But man, that's uh, that, that's huge in that sport because we know, yeah. you know, what Bubba's went through over he's the last year, already, what he's yeah. been through, what he's continued to go through. I should say as well. Mm-hmm. It, it ain't stopped yet, but that's, that's huge for that sport. Uh, and you know, seeing men that look like us, men of color, um, you know, having some success. Well, he's got some points on the board. I see them all in November. When oh, I yeah. Come down to Homestead, Motor Speedway, Race mm-hmm. for the Cup. Uh, listen, Mr. Ross is building a track right there at uh, the, the location at Hard Rock Stadium where the Dolphins and, and the University of Miami play. Yeah. Like, man, is he trying to take everybody's stuff? He yeah. snatched the tennis tournament, might be snatched, snatched the, the race. We'll see, but I know this fall, at the very least, we'll, we'll, we'll hope. we're rooting for Bubba to be in that last race for the Cup. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah, Kudos to them, man, for sure. That's magnificent. How about William C. Roden stopping by this program today? I, it, listen, it doesn't get better from a yeah. historical perspective uh, about uh, the, the inner workings of storytelling in sport. Correct. That man, William Roden. Yeah, I think you said it best. Storytelling, getting those stories, but also getting a message across. And I felt like I stumped him, Jax. I think I got him. Yeah. He going to go to the Bayou Classic. He don't know where to go. Miami after New Orleans. <laughs> That's it. Uh, listen, so great to have him. Uh, Kirk, a pleasure. Always. I'm excited. I'm going on my first road trip in a year and a half with the Miami. Enjoy. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Check out their preview on the SiriusXM app, the SXM app. Mm-hmm. Live and up there right now. For our producer, Pernell Brown. Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. This has been Forward Progress. We'll talk to you next time.